Father, we do thank you that you do indeed give us the words of eternal life in the pages of your word. Lord, we thank you that you show us Jesus Christ and how we can have eternal life through him. But Lord, we do also thank you that you tell us how to live, that you give us instructions on how we are to behave as believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would be with us this morning as we consider what your word has to say about a very sensitive and difficult topic. Lord, we pray that you would give me particular wisdom. We pray that you would be with me and help me to share on this uh, sensitive topic in a way that is pleasing and honourable to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit may be amongst us in abundance this morning, filling us and helping us to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, today's sermon is a topical message, which is actually unusual for me. I rarely speak on topical subjects. I usually pick a book of the Bible and then start to work through it verse by verse, uh, sometimes more than one verse at a time, but I usually let the passage dictate what the subject of the sermon will be. And that's quite exciting for me as each week I sit down and I look at the text and I say, so what am I going to learn this week before then I seek to teach the people on Sunday? But this week I'm going to preach on the subject of pornography and that is because the elders at this church have come to a growing realisation that this is a big problem in our community, Uh, not in the Des Moines Baptist community so to speak, but in the Western culture that we live in, that this is something that is becoming increasingly prevalent in our communities and something that is doing more and more damage. And it's not just that it's happening outside the church, it is also happening inside the church. And so it's as I've been reading different works on sexual sin and particularly pornography, I've come to see some of these statistics and they are quite alarming. And when I shared them with the other elders at this church, they agreed that we really should have some sort of statement at our church on the subject and that we should be seeking to minister to the people in the church who may be struggling with such things and giving them information and advising them that they can come and see us for help on the subject. Some of the statistics that are alarming is uh, the fact that 25 million Americans spent 1 to 10 hours per week viewing internet pornography in 2000. So that's 25 million people spend 1 to 10 hours just viewing pornography each week. But then, that's just general population, there's statistics that 50% of Christian men are addicted to pornography, 50% of them are addicted to pornography, 60% of pastors said pornography addiction is the most damaging issue in their church. 60% said it's the most damaging issue in their church. Now, I, even if pornography was a big issue in Dromoyne Baptist, not necessarily saying and would say that it's the most significant issue, but obviously these pastors are understanding that it's doing quite a lot of damage. And even when I was at one of the recent Baptist Union assemblies, the head of the Baptist Union here in New South Wales uh, was talking, uh, the issue on the table was same-sex marriage, and they were talking about that, and he said, look, same-sex marriage is an important issue that we need to discuss, but he said, but there are other sins that we should be talking about, and he said, pornography is something that is just not being spoken about in New South Wales Baptist churches, and it is running rampant, that was his word, rampant amongst the churches in the Baptist churches. And that's his experience. He's the head of the Baptist Union. He knows a lot about what's going on in different churches, I assume. Uh, And so he said that, that it's running rampant amongst Christian churches. 
Also, in relation to pastors, this statistic is not so much about what pastors are experiencing in their churches, but about what they're experiencing themselves. A statistic is that 54% of pastors admit viewing pornography themselves at least a few times in the previous 12 months. So over half of pastors admit that they've viewed it in the last 12 months. And then 18% of pastors admit visiting explicit websites between a couple of times a month and more than once a week. So almost 20% of pastors are viewing pornography once a month or once a week. They're viewing it quite regularly. Now, I know that sexual sin is not restricted to internet pornography, not restricted to pornography and not restricted to internet pornography, that there's other sins that are around us as well. It's not as though sexual sin is limited to that area. But I think we need to talk about internet pornography specifically because there's no statistics about our culture that are saying that other sexual sin is having such a prevalence. It's not as though 54% of pastors admit having an adulterous relationship in the last 12 months. It's not as though uh, 20% of um, Christians are saying that they have uh, committed some other sexual sin, that they've visited a prostitute. Uh, But we see that there's this alarming statistic that lots of Christians are actually ensnared in internet pornography. And so that's why I've got a particular focus on it today. And I think the reason why it's so prevalent in our cultures and our culture and even in churches is because of the way that it comes into Christian homes so easily via the internet. It is much more difficult to engage in other sexual sin because it is less private. It is so much more easily uh, pervasive into our Christian homes. And so that's why the elders at Dremoyne Baptist are wanting to put it on the radar of the members at Dremoyne Baptist so that they're more aware of what is going on and also can, if they're struggling in their own way, they can start to work through the issue and deal with it uh, in a biblical manner. So... This morning, I'm going to be looking at what advice does the Bible have about the issue of internet pornography? What advice does the Bible have? And although internet pornography was not available at the time the Bible was written, the Bible does indeed have a lot of advice for us. And there's many passages that we could look at in the Scriptures. One passage would be the other passage from the Old Testament that we read this morning from Proverbs. Very clear teaching on the destructive nature of sexual sin. But the passage I'm wanting to look at this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I've chosen to come to a passage in Thessalonians because the town of Thessalonica was a place that was known to have a strong uh, link with sexual sin. It's not as though our society is the only sexualized society that's come along in the last several thousand years. No, societies have been sexualized before this one. And particularly in the Greek and Roman world, sexual sin was predominant within the societies, even more so than we may see in our culture here in Australia, and particularly port cities. So if you are a city that has a harbour and lots of boats coming in and out, then that means a high transition of people coming in and out. And when people are in a town that's not their own town, they're often more tempted to do things that they wouldn't do in their own backyard. And so towns like Thessalonica were known for sexual sin. And 
It was even encouraged by some of the religions in the Greek world, in the Greek and Roman world, that the temple prostitutes, you would actually have sex with these prostitutes as a part of your worship of that religion. And so a description was given by one commentator, a commentator called F.F. Bruce, and he talks about the typical male in a Greek culture. And think of this as the typical male that the Christians in Thessalonica were encountering. This is a typical male. A man might have a mistress, first girl, who could provide him with intellectual companionship. The institution of slavery made it easy for him to have a concubine as well. So he has a mistress, but he also ha- so she's the companion. He also has a concubine. And then casual gratification was readily available from a harlot. So prostitutes were readily available. And then the function of his wife was to manage his household and to be the mother of his legitimate children and heirs. So there were basically, most Greek men had four, four types of women in their life. They had their wife, who's looked after their legitimate children and run the household. And then he would have his mistress, his concubine, and prostitutes were readily available as well. And so that is the world in which these Thessalonian Christians are living in. And so Paul writes them a letter and he comes to this subject because he knows that it is a real issue that the Thessalonian church is facing. And so what does Paul have to say in chapter 4? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What does he have to say to the Thessalonian Christians. Well, the first thing that we see in the passage that we're looking at this morning from verse 3 is that the Christians should be sanctified. Look with me at verse 3. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What is God's will for you? A lot of people spend a lot of time trying to work out God's will for their life. Often, what God wants you to do, what his will is for you, is quite obvious. And in this place, this passage of scripture, it tells you quite clearly, God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be sanctified. That's what the Greek word sanctified means. It means to be made holy. And he wants you not to be impure, but he wants you to be progressively become more like God, living God's ways, becoming more and more holy. Now, what does holiness look like? Well, he gives us three things in the text. And the NIV translation is very good at giving you a little colon after the two dots, after the word sanctified. And then you can see semicolons as you go through to illustrate the three things that he says make up sanctification in this matter. What are the three things that make up sanctification? What three things should you be doing if you're seeking to be sanctified, if you're seeking to be holy? And so in verse... Uh, three, we read that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should avoid sexual immorality. He speaks to this Thessalonian church where illicit sex is so prevalent in their culture. And what does he say? You're meant to be holy, which means avoiding sexual immorality. The word avoid there can be also translated as abstain or keep away from. And so he's telling the Thessalonian church here, you must keep away, you must abstain from all forms of sexual immorality. That can be adulterous relationships, it can be visiting um, harlots, visiting prostitutes if you're single, uh, you're not committed to somebody but still you're engaging in sex outside of marriage. And for our culture today, this includes viewing things that we should not see. 
things that should be confined between marriage partners. And of course, pornography is one example of something that we should not be viewing, something that is classified as sexual immorality, where acts that are between a husband and wife are displayed and you view them for your own pleasure, which is outside of marriage. And so this is something that we must avoid. He says here that you must abstain, you should avoid sexual immorality. And we must do that today as well. What does that mean? It means abstaining, keeping away from it. And that can be as simple as when it comes to internet pornography, which is the real focus of today because it just is so insidious, it just comes in so easily, it's just one click away. It means filtering your internet so that things don't come through. If you want to know about ways to filter your internet, there are a number of ways that you can do so with technology. And um, there's, there's a couple that are easily probably broken through. But uh, if you don't know what you're doing, you can set them up and, uh, and, uh, and then you don't know how to break through them. But there's other ways that are much more secure and that are much harder to crack. I know a little bit about computers. Oh, might say I even know a lot about computers. Uh, I'm no IT expert, but I do like to mess around with computers. And so I can actually show you, if you need help in this area, that you need to at least filter the internet so that you are keeping away from such things, that they're kept on another side of a gateway and they're not coming into your home. But it may mean fulfilling this command from uh, Paul here from the Lord is that you should avoid sexual immorality. It may mean cutting off the internet altogether, at least for a time. And I would recommend this to some people. If you just cannot help yourself, then keep away from it by getting rid of the internet connection altogether. I often think of uh, what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in this regard, because some people say, how could you do that? How could you cut off the internet? My life depends upon the internet. I need it for email. I need it for other things. You say, well, what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And so I say that about internet pornography. Cut it off and throw it away. Cut the internet off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose the internet than for your whole body and your internet, potentially, to be thrown into hell. It may, the internet is not as valuable as your right eye. I think most of us would guarantee that. But Jesus uses that hyperbolic statement there, this exaggerated statement, to say it's, it's far better to cut out your right eye and go into heaven than for your whole body to go into hell. Far better for you to not have internet and go into heaven than for you to have internet and then go into hell. So the first part of being sanctified is avoiding sexual immorality. Another part of being sanctified, of holiness, includes controlling your own body. You see that in verse 4. So he has the first statement about sanctification, which is in verse 3. And then after the semicolon, verse 4, we see that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable. We have to learn to control our bodies. Now, this is not what the rest of the culture often says when it comes to sexual sin. What does the rest of the culture say? The rest of the culture says you should just follow your natural bodily urges. Just like you have a desire to eat, 
then you should eat, just like you have a desire to drink, you should drink. If you have a desire to have sex or to look at something, then you should just do it. But remember what they are. What does the text say about them? Verse 4 says that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. We're tempted sometimes to take our bearings from the culture around us. They say, just follow your natural body urges. And we get so much from the culture around us, and some things are very good that we get from them. But this is bad advice. And we've got to remember that they are heathen, and they do not know God. So it is not surprising that they behave in this manner, that they do not control their own bodies. They do not know that they have a sinful part of them. They have a sinful nature and that it needs to be restrained, it needs to be drawn in, it needs to be controlled. And so we as Christians need to learn to control our own bodies. We need to continually work at reigning in that sinful nature that is a part of us and that pushes us to look at things that we shouldn't, to engage in sexual sin. So what does this mean? Well, when you're under temptation to look at something that you shouldn't be looking at, means saying no. Saying no, I'm going to control my body in this instance. I'm going to say no to Satan. I'm going to say no to the world. I'm going to say no to my own body as it seeks something that is not for me. Because I know God. I'm not a heathen. I know God. And I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. My body does not always know what is right for it. And so I need to control it. I need to control it in a way that is holy and honourable. Two things we've seen make up holiness. One is that we should avoid sexual immorality. The other is that we should learn to control our own bodies. Cut off the internet, and when you've got the internet there, control yourself and where you click. Third reason, our third thing that we do if we're going to be holy. What is that? In verse 6 it says, And that in this matter... No one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. We have to remember that when we engage in sexual sin, it's never a private matter and it never is without effect on those around us. It does hurt other people in the community, including pornography. People think it's just a private matter between them and the computer, but it never stays a private matter. And even in the usage of pornography, you can actually hurt those around you in the way that you view it. Firstly, the way that uh, viewing pornography hurts those around you is by the way that it robs your spouse of your love and affection. Those sexual desires that are meant to be directed at your spouse are no longer directed towards them. And you're instead drawn away to someone who is not your spouse. And also the use of pornography, viewing it, can hurt those around you who love you dearly. It upsets fathers, mothers, children, brothers, sisters, churches. If they find out that you've been viewing pornography, it changes them. And particularly their view of you and their view of others. Those who find out that you've been using internet pornography will be hurt particularly if they're your spouse, but even your children, if they find out that you've been using internet uh, internet pornography, 
they will be hurt. There's a, a, a Christian uh, blog that posted an article from a young girl. Uh, well, I think she's more like 18 now, but she refers back to when she was younger and she found that her father was using pornography. And she writes about the ramifications that that then had on her life. This was a Christian father that professed faith in Jesus Christ and told her about being pure and told her to avoid such things himself. But then she found out that he was a hypocrite and using these things. And this is what she writes. There's a, if, if any of you would like to, maybe I'll send a link to everyone regardless, to read this article because it's so eye-opening to the ramifications of your internet usage on those around you, including children. But this is just one paragraph from what she says, and she says, because of your pornography, she's writing this directly to her father, it was an open letter to her father, I was aware that mum was not the only woman you were looking at. I became acutely aware of your wandering eye when we were out and about. This taught me that all men have a wandering eye and can't be trusted. I learned to distrust and even dislike men for the way they perceived women in this way. It tainted her view of her father, but then tainted her view of all men. And she started to suspect that all men were behaving in this way. So by viewing it, you can actually take advantage of your brother. That's what he's warning you about here. That in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. That when you view internet pornography, you're wronging your brother and sister and taking advantage of them. But it's not just in the way that you view it and then if people find out about the usage, there's also wrong that is done on those who produce internet pornography. They're those who produce pornography. These are people who are brothers and sisters in God's image. They may not be your brothers and sisters in Christ, but those who produce that thing, those things that you watch, they're real people. And they're made by God. They're your brothers and sisters in this world. And the toll on actors' bodies, particularly women, is horrendous. There's one statistic that is on the internet. I'm not sure how reliable it is, but it got quoted a number of times. I couldn't track down the actual source. I was trying to get it uh, so that I could say it with some authority. But it says that the average life expectancy of an American porn star is 37 years of age, whereas the average life expectancy of an American is 78 years. 37 years of age, 78. They don't even make it halfway to 78. And that's because of the damage that is done to them, the different diseases they catch. It's a horrendous thing. I read a book this week in helpful preparation for this and trying to get some statistics that I could give you as well. And it was awful reading. There's some things I wish I could unread from this last week about what happens to people in this industry. It is awful. And when you take part in it, you're wronging your brother and taking advantage of him. Brother, in the image of God, they're real people with real family members who are probably upset about the fact that they're involved in this. You're taking advantage of them. You're hurting them. So one way that we wrong others is by viewing it and when they find out about our viewing of it. The other is the fact that those who produce it, you're wronging them. But as you consume it, you continue to drive a market so that people are hurt in making it. And then thirdly, your use of pornography wrongs your brother through associated sins. How many people have gotten caught up in pornography and then been led to commit more and more 
sin as a result of that? How many of them have ended up lying, just being deceitful to your wife about what you do? Stealing, engaging in physical adulterous relationships. This is what this book that I was reading was so clear in showing that it starts with pornography and then it leads to actual physical relationships and violent sexual sin, rape comes along and it's often because of people looking at internet pornography. How many people walk away from their family responsibilities because they've started to be wrapped up in the snare of internet pornography or damage others economically? They're distracted at work. They're looking at things in the workplace that they shouldn't be looking at instead of working. So they're robbing their boss of financial revenue or they end up losing their job because they just can't control it anymore or they end up in legal battles for children, custody of children, because their family has fallen apart would be one example. Or even murder. Now that seems like a big statement to say that internet pornography can lead to murder. But there's an example in the Bible, not of internet pornography, but of someone watching something they shouldn't have been that was led to murder. King David. How did his demise come about that we read of in the scriptures? Starts by looking at a woman washing not a sexual act, but a pornographic act. Something that he shouldn't have been looking at. And from there, he ends up in an adulterous relationship. He ends up murdering the wife of uh, the husband of that, that woman. And then his family breakdown. It doesn't, I, I think the, the ramifications of his sexual sin there, it doesn't stop with the murder of Uriah. It continues on, and you see his firstborn son ends up taking over the kingdom while he's there. He loses his job as Absalom comes and takes over because his other son, no, his Amnon, the firstborn son, he rapes the sister, Tamar, and then Absalom reacts by killing Amnon. And then there's this coup that ends up taking place and David loses his job as king. Now we might say that's just David. He's someone out there, he had a lustful look, it led to all these other things. But that can happen to us too. Start by looking at something that you shouldn't be looking at and it can even lead to murder. One way that we could see that happening very easily in our country, you think, oh, murder, that, yeah, it has to be, and there's a long way before that might happen, is... Uh, before that would happen to you. Well, what, think about abortion. What is abortion? It's a murder of children inside the womb. Now, how many abortions have taken place because someone started looking at something they shouldn't have, then started to engage in physical relationships that they shouldn't have been in, and then a baby was conceived, and then there's pressure to kill that baby to hide their sin. It's not too many steps to say that looking at something that you shouldn't be on the internet could lead to murder. And that, of course, is an example of someone who is in this matter wronging his brother or taking advantage of him. We have to be so careful in thinking that this is a private matter and has no impact upon those around us. So here we see three things as to why we should, how we can be holy. We should, learn, um, we should avoid sexual immorality. We should learn to control our own bodies. And we should not take advantage or wrong our brother in this matter. But why bother? Why bother being holy? Why bother avoiding sexual immorality? Why bother controlling your own body? It's a hard thing to do. 
Why bother not taking advantage of your brother? Surely you can take advantage of those around you. It's not really that big a deal, is it? Well, that brings me to my second point this morning. You must remember the Lord. You must remember the Lord. And that is told to us in this text. Verse 6, we read, And that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. If you're not a Christian, you must be aware of this fact, that the use of internet pornography can send you to hell just as any other sin can as well. The Lord will punish all such uh, men for all such sins as Paul has already told the Thessalonians and warned them. God has called you to be holy and pure, not to be unholy. And he says that in verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. That goes for everybody on the planet, not Christians. Everyone is called to be holy, not impure. And God will judge you for your impurity with the punishment of hell. If you choose to look at porn, you're choosing to reject God. And that's what verse 8 says. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian, understand that when you choose to engage in internet pornography, you're choosing to reject God and accept those images instead. And God will punish you unless you come to Jesus Christ. This is the wonderful message of the Bible, is that if you come to Jesus in repentance and faith, he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Not some unrighteousness, and there's some that still remains, all unrighteousness. You are cleansed from all unrighteousness, which includes the sin of looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. And so you will not be punished for those sins with eternity in hell, because Christ gave himself on the cross and was punished in your place. But what about if you are a Christian? Well, you need to remember the Lord as well, that he will punish all such sins as well. Verse 6 is written to Christians primarily here. I mean, we can take a broad application to non-Christians to make them aware that their sexual sin is going to be called to account one day. But it's also written to Christians here. The Lord will punish men for all such sins that we have already warned you, uh, told you and warned you. But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then surely there's nothing left to be punished for. The punishment has been taken. And well, we recognise that the Bible says that God disciplines those he loves, that he still punishes Christians. It's not with hell, but he still can complicate your life and make it very hard for you. And so you think that by looking at it one day and then the next day nothing happens, you think that, oh, it's okay, and I can keep doing it. No, God will punish you. Watch out. You may be saved, but God can punish you for what you're doing. And there's, almost, there's a promise here that he does indeed do so. Because we have to remember what's happening here, that when we do this, we are living an impure life and not living a holy life. And that's what we are not called to live. Verse 7 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And we're meant to 
accept God, not reject God, which is what verse 8 is talking about. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. When you choose to click on something that you shouldn't be looking at, you're making a statement about God in your life. You're rejecting him. And if you keep on doing it, then there's good reason for you to start to assess, am I actually a Christian? If I'm ensnared in this, then am I actually saved? Because each time I click, I'm saying, I don't care about you, God. I'm choosing this instead of you. And that should be an eye-opener for you. If you are caught in a a repetitive cycle with some particular sin, it's always an eye-opener to whether you are actually saved. Because if you're repentant, then you should be stopping sin. You should be sorry about sin and turning from it. And if you don't see repentance in your life, then how do you know that you are actually saved? So when we consider engaging in internet pornography. We have to remember that the Lord will punish all such sin. But there's something else we must remember about the Lord in my third, uh, my second main point here. You must remember the Lord. The second thing we must remember is that the Lord is one who gives us his Holy Spirit. And that's mentioned in verse 8. Therefore he who rejects this instruction does not reject man but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now I firstly when I read that verse 8 text and mentioned this this Holy Spirit there, I thought what it's saying is you should feel even worse about rejecting God. He's a God who's been so good to you and given you his Holy Spirit. But I think it's also a sign of hope here that remember it may be hard to disengage with sexual sin. It may be hard to walk in the light, but God gives you his Holy Spirit. And with his Holy Spirit you can indeed conquer Engagement in sexual sin, including internet pornography. God has not left you without power to conquer this sin. And the way that he usually conquers this sin, the best way to conquer the sin of internet pornography is by becoming more and more consumed with God. Not rejecting God, but accepting God. Getting to know him more and more. And that's what the Holy Spirit loves to do in people, is to make them more and more enamoured with the Son, more and more enamoured with the Father. That you love God so much that to engage in things that he has forbidden is appalling to you because you love him so. And so... We must remember the Lord. We must remember that he judges us for our sin, but we also remember that he gives us his Holy Spirit by his grace, by his mercy towards us. He gives us his Holy Spirit to help us. Now, what about if you don't struggle with internet pornography? This morning it's been a big waste of time for you, maybe. You're thinking, what's the point of all this? And Joel's even admitted that it's not a problem that he's aware of in this church. Why bother? What about you who don't struggle with internet pornography? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. You must continue steadfastly. You must continue steadfastly. The letter to the Thessalonian church is one of Paul's positive letters, really. Um, it's, it's not coming down on them like he does with the uh, churches in Galatia. He's very positive about the Thessalonians. It's a really encouraging letter to read. And... He doesn't actually say that they're struggling like he does with the church in Corinth with a particular sexual sin. No, 
He actually compliments them at the beginning of this chapter. What does he say in verse 1? Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He says, you are actually living to please God. But, even in saying that, we encourage you, we urge you to do this more and more. And that's what we need to remember here at this church. I think we are living in a way to please God. We are seeking that. I know the members of this church reasonably well, and I know what happens at the church, and particularly in public meetings, and I think we are really working to please God. We are living in a way to please him. But we need to remember the next part. We need to always be urged in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And I think there's always room for us to improve. Now, I've spoken particularly about internet pornography today, but there's other types of material that we can see that's pornographic in its nature as well. On our television screens, the mainstream television screens, the um, the TV that is out there, free-to-air TV that you watch, and then also movies that you rent, there can be pornography in those. And we should be vigilant about that. We may not be logging onto things and looking at explicit pornography, very destructive things, some of the things that I've had to read about this week, horrible things. But what about the things that happen in TV shows or in movies, the silver screen, so to speak? What about things that you watch on YouTube? It's not a pornographic site per se, but some of the music videos that I like to watch music videos with my kids, some of them are pornographic when you look at them and you consider what you're watching. And so I think when he says here, do this more and more, he's saying become more and more holy. There's always room for improvement. There's always room to consider what am I looking at and is it something that is sexually immoral? Even some of the way people dress on the street can attract your eye and it's actually sexually immoral to start looking in a lustful manner at them. So we must continue steadfastly. We must do this more and more. We must live in a way to please God. Now, part of me wants to apologise for today's sermon. Say sorry for bringing up this subject. Sorry for talking at length about it. But then another part of me knows that it must be addressed. That For the last few years, I've been aware of this subject as being a problem in other churches and in our community. And I've felt a growing... um, lack on my part, a growing guilt that I'm almost sticking my head in the sand about the issue. And we really need to be clear at Des Moines Baptist that this is a real issue that's out there and we need to make sure that we're working to keep it out there and not in here. And so if you're struggling with this sin, choose God and choose to reject pornography. And if you need to get help Come and see the elders of the church. Come and see me. If you don't want to see me, see one of the other elders. Get help. If you're in a repetitive cycle with this, come and see someone. Get the help that you need. And if you're not struggling, pray against it. Pray against it in our church that it would be 
not an issue here, that it would continue not to be a problem here, but also pray that it, pray against it in the community, that people be awakened to the problem that it is. And I think more and more um, feminists particularly are awakening to the fact that it's quite damaging to women. And the book that I read this week on the particular subject was written from a feminist perspective. Um, pray that people would be aware of what this is and start to rule against it. And I think we should all, even if we're not struggling, we should take heed lest we fall, as the words in uh, Corinthians from Paul say. We think that we're not struggling, so it's all okay. We should always take heed lest we fall. Let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how your word reveals to us how sinful we really are. We often wink at sin. We often think that it's not that bad or we're not like the heathen who are outside the church. But we recognize that sin pervades our lives so easily. We thank you for the way that you keep serious sexual sin out of our lives. We pray that you would keep even minor sexual sin out of our lives as we recognize that it always damages. Sin is always damaging upon us and upon those around us and upon you. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom about this matter and we pray for us as a church that we may care for one another be able to counsel each other and be able to spur each other on to be more and more holy and we pray this in christ's name amen